This Ends at Prom is a critical analysis podcast and is being produced in the midst of the SAG-AFTRA strike. The WGA may have made their tentative deal, but the members of SAG-AFTRA are still striking today. Without the labor of the actors currently on strike, the movie being reviewed here wouldn't exist. For more information, please visit the Freelance Solidarity Project at freelancesolidarity.org. Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. So you know how over the years you and I have both said at one time or another that like if there was one person that we could just like ruin their lives, it would be the ex of each other. Yes. Cool. That's like this, but like the friendship version. Aw, <laughs> that, friends. <laughs> that's what do revenge is. <laughs> Platonic ex ruining revenge. Exactly. <laughs> oh gosh. Palm party, your prom aunts are being so nice to you because we are doing two of the most requested ones in the suggestion box back to back. I know. We wanted to cover Do Revenge when it came out in 2022, but it came out during a time period where we just had everything scheduled already and a lot of stuff Shit recorded. Happens. So we're doing it now. And we hope that you're excited because y'all keep telling us to do it in the suggestion box. Which means the bloom is not off that rose, which is good to hear considering most streaming movies. Like, they have, like, a flashbang of, like, maybe a week or two, and Mm -hmm. then people go, well, that was a thing that existed, huh? Yeah. So it's kind of nice to see that even after a year, y'all are still talking about this movie and wanting to hear us talk about it. So, you know, we're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if somehow you have not seen Do Revenge, here is your synopsis. And I'm actually going to read both synopsis that are on IMDb because they made me laugh. So the first one was Drea and Eleanor agree to go after one another's bullies. And that's it. That is not inaccurate. It's not inaccurate, but I was like, wow, that's... uh." Okay, that's it. (laughs) But the real synopsis. Drea is at the peak of her high school powers when her entire life goes up in flames after her sex tape gets leaked to the whole school, seemingly by her boyfriend and king of the school, Max. Eleanor is an awkward new transfer student who is angered to find out that she now has to go to school with her old bully, Carissa, who started a nasty rumor about her in summer camp when they were 13. After a clandestine run-in at tennis camp, Drea and Eleanor form an unlikely and secret friendship to get revenge on each other's tormentors. That is much more thorough. I agree. And misleading. It is misleading. But it is uh, interesting to see a synopsis that isn't just like, strangers on a train, but for teen girls, because that's what this is. That's how you pitched it to me. Mm -hmm. Because I think you saw this before me, because I think I was working at the time. Mm -hmm. And... 
you came home, I came home and you were like, it's strangers on a train, but with Dean girls. <laughs> Which it is. And I think that that's really cool. And what's funny is that when this came out, I remember people talking about that and they're like, that seems weird. Strangers on a train, but for teen girls, that's dumb. Is there nothing original anymore? And it's like, did y'all forget that the entirety of the 90s and early 2000s teen movies are mostly based on like, Shakespeare and other classic you literature. Mean most of the movies that this movie specifically referencing. Yeah, they're all referencing like classic stories, so it makes complete sense to me that this movie would also tackle a classic film. People will really be out here and just be like, "Oh my god, Freaky Friday, but a teen slasher." Oh my god, it's a wonderful life, but a slasher. <laughs> I hope Michael Kennedy listens to this episode and hears that. Love you, Michael. <laughs> Love you, Michael. Love you very much. Yeah, I mean, while we're here, It's a Wonderful Knife comes out, I think, in November 10th in theaters. So after this episode, so go see it. because it's, it's so Hallmark. It's so it's, wonderful. It's so saccharine. He did a great job. I hate Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so there you go. More mashups to keep you entertained throughout the year. <laughs> so obviously context for this movie is weird because it came out in 2022. Yeah, it's not really worth going into, I guess. Not particularly. The, um, the I mean, in terms of like, I guess, context you're going to do is like, what do these leads do? Um, well, they're coming off of hit TV shows. Yeah. So we have Camilla Mendez, who is obviously... Veronica Lodge on Riverdale. She's done plenty of other things, but that is kind of her big thing. That's mm -hmm. what most people know her from. And I think that her being on Riverdale is uh, vital to her performance in this. Because Riverdale's camp as fuck? Because Riverdale is camp as fuck. God. And this movie is pretty campy. I've watched maybe four episodes of Riverdale, and it was with a stoned, like, 40-something-year-old man in Ohio. <laughs> Shout out to Wes of Why Did We Ever Meet podcast. God. <laughs> I just love watching shit with Wes when he's high because he's just sitting there going, what the fuck is this? <laughs> it's a musical? <laughs> it was really fun to watch you watch Riverdale with zero context of anything Oh, yeah, it was like before. season four or something. <laughs> yeah, we were like in the thick of it. <laughs> yeah, and then we also have Maya Hawk, kind of the queen of the Gen Z Nepo babies at this point. Nepo baby is not inherently a negative term, just we putting that on the record. We love you, Jane Fonda. <laughs> right. I'm just going to peanut gallery this whole episode. <laughs> not really. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop once we get through the intro. That's fine. <laughs> But Maya Hawk is here, and Maya Hawk is fresh off of Stranger Things. Um, what a star-making season she had. Oh, God, she's great. Like, yeah. Robin's one of the best characters they've ever written for that, that show. That, that fucking Scoops. Mm -hmm. Scoops Ahoy. Scoops Ahoy. What an adorable couple's Halloween costume that was that one year. I know. And now they're, like, bringing it back. It was very weird. There was a thing about a month ago where it was like, you can now get Scoops Ahoy ice cream at Walmart. And I was like, a reference from... Two seasons ago of a show that's not currently on the air? Okay. Well, you say two seasons ago, and that sounds generous, but it was like four or five years ago. I know, because so. there was such a delay before season four. Yeah, so like it's been a been a hot sec, but I don't know. Yeah, very strange. But Maya Hawk's also been doing other acting. She also is a very talented musician. Mm -hmm. And so you like, she's you like her album a lot. I really like her album a lot. So she's been up to a lot, but this movie was kind of a big deal for the both of them. This was kind of a fever pitch for a lot of fans where they're like, oh my God, both of them together, we've so won, mm -hmm. uh, which I agree. It's great. Um, and the fact that it went to Netflix. 
I think is both a blessing and a curse for this movie that mm-hmm. I do want to talk about in terms of context. It is a blessing in the sense that people were immediately able to watch this and they knew to find it. Mm-hmm. It was an easy thing for them to find. So it did perform really well when it came out. It was on the top 10 list for a couple of days, if not weeks. Um, people were talking about it a lot. There was a lot of TikTok uh, videos made around the time that this came out. That's always a good thing. So positive. Uh, negative is that unless the algorithm fed this movie to you, you probably missed it. Yeah. I mean, that's generally how Netflix works. I, well, <laughs> we did this with this movie and also just any other time we have to go to Netflix where I will punch it into like the Roku search bar and BJ will go, it's on Netflix. You can just go there. And I'm like, I refuse to wrestle with their search bar. <laughs> I just absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. And last year on Slash Film, we do a list every year that's like the 200 best movie moments. So it doesn't necessarily have to be the best movie. Sometimes the moments that show up are from bad movies. But the moment's good. But the moment is good, right. And one of the moments that I fought for really, really hard was Sophie Turner screaming, I don't do cocaine, which I firmly believe is one of the best line deliveries we've had in the last 10 years. She's unbelievable. It's been movie. the most enduring moment it's from so this movie. It's so funny. And it's like in the first like maybe 10 minutes of the movie, 15 minutes of the movie, it's yeah, very it's pre- early on. It's pretty early on, but it, oh my gosh, and she commits so hard. It happens, it's great, and BJ goes, I love you, Sophie Turner. You're so talented. I'm glad you're in this bonkers movie. And I went, who's Sophie Turner? (laughs) Because somebody didn't watch Game of Thrones. Nope. (laughs) So yeah, no, that moment is great. And I fought for it like crazy. And mind you, I work at a website where people watch films for a living. And like maybe one or two other people on staff were like, I've seen this movie. No one else saw it. So I was just like screaming into the void. And eventually it was like, you know what? This is like my Trump card. This is the one that I'm using for myself of like the, no one else saw this, but I'm championing it. That's what I used that moment for. Cause my God, it's so funny. Um, because yeah, again, unless the algorithm tells you, Hey, you'll like this movie. Chances are, you're not going to know that it's there. That's something that I have been increasingly turning into an old lady yells at cloud about is the fucking algorithms. Mm -hmm. So perfect example, right? This is side tangent, but related. Who cares? Five Nights at Freddy's went day and date. So released in theaters the same day that it was released on streaming on Peacock. And for work, I've had to be in like the Reddit forums and blah, blah, blah. This is like a very hardcore fandom. Tell me why. At least once a day, I would see somebody say something like, is the movie good enough to see in theaters or should I wait for it to go on Disney Plus? And it's like, first off, it's not going to Disney Plus. It would be funny if it did. It'd be real funny if it did, but it's not going there. Second off, it will be available to stream the exact same day as theaters. It's just going to be on Peacock, an app you clearly don't have. But that has been very available information, but I, I I don't know. I guess unless you get slapped in the face with it, people just don't know things, and it's not necessarily their fault. I, I'm not trying to be like, young people are lazy. They don't look things up. Like, that's not what I'm doing, but it is, like, kind of infuriating to me where I'm like, but it's it's happening the same day. It's the thing you want is there. It's looking at you. You're just not seeing it. What? 
What's happening here? I mean, that's the algorithm. <laughs> that's also what they choose to prioritize. Um, for some reason, a lot of Paul Giamatti stuff is getting top billing on all the streaming sites right now. So I'm having to see him, which is not a problem. It's just not things I'm probably going to watch. Right. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's not necessarily a young person thing. Every single day at work, I have someone come up and go, what's your whiskey selection or something of that ilk? And I go, oh, sorry, no hard liquor. And they go, so no whiskey? And I go, no, only <laughs> beer and wine. They go, really? Only beer and wine? I'm like, why? Yes. <laughs> why, why would, would I, I lie? lie to you? <laughs> why would I just be like, no, you specifically, you can't handle your whiskey. I'm sorry. <laughs> Have a beer. <laughs> see, and, and those are people who are 40 and up. See, and that's the thing. You like, just need information in front of your face because I think we're used to that. Well, I think it's that. And I also think the algorithm is making all of us dumber. Like, I think it's making every single one of us dumber. It has killed our, like, thirst for knowledge because we're so used to having things just, like, handed to us on a silver platter that if anything takes, like, even the smallest amount of energy, we're like, I don't want to do that. Like, it's the same sort of thing of... I own this movie on physical media, but that requires getting up and going across the room and opening it up and turning on the Blu-ray. And I don't want to do that if I can just watch something on streaming. Like, I get it. I'm guilty of it myself. That's a really generous way of saying that you forgot you owned a movie. You know what? Y'all, there are so many movies we own this that hard. BJ rents on Prime for like $3.99. And I just look over like two days later and go, you have that. <laughs> In my defense, I lost a lot of movies in The Great Separation before you and I met, and I forget what movies I actually own. Yeah, but you just you just don't want to go get up and check. Yeah, I guess not. Cool. I don't. And that is that is the result of the algorithm it's making the same me thing. dumber it's and lazier. It's the same kind of laziness. It's the same kind of laziness. I own it. I am also part of this problem. I'm not throwing stones in my glass house. So anyway... Yes. Do Revenge. You want to talk about the movie? Let's talk about Do Revenge. But before we do that, it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show. Happy November, prom party. We have a very uh, good month for you over on the Patreon this month. And by that, I mean we're doing Good Burger and Goodwill Hunting over on the Sadie Hawkins dance. It wasn't supposed to plan out that way, but I was like, you know what? Let's just fucking rock it. Let's go. <laughs> For our musical milestone mini episode, um, apparently Gucci Gucci by Cray Sean just went platinum and BJ lost her mind about it because she's a, a very unique apologist for that song. So we're going to dive into Cray Sean and kind of trashy white girl rap a la Kesha's TikTok and things of that ilk. We only have two more months left of My So-Called Life before we are finishing up there, so we're cruising on with that. In addition to all of our awesome, good bonus episodes that you're going to get over there, the Patreon will also have the monthly playlist, BJ's wellness newsletter, and of course, the suggestion box, so that you can go ahead and just throw some of your favorite movies you would like to us to discuss out there. In addition to all of the things that we have in the back catalog that you can explore at your leisure. As always, if you're not able to support this month, we totally understand. Um, the world's in, in, a, in a state right now, so like we're not holding it against anybody. But if you have the means and there's not anybody else you haven't bothered about it yet, then recommend us to any like friends or family or whoever you think might like what we do. And go ahead and leave us a review. I just learned this month that apparently you can leave comments 
on Spotify, and I had a very fun time going through and reading a seven or eight months worth of those. <laughs> With all of that said, back to the movie. Alrighty. So I want to open this episode, actually, with an interview that the writer-director Jennifer Caton Robinson did with Entertainment Weekly, where she says, I could lie and say that The Godfather made me want to be a filmmaker, but I'm not going to do that. I made my mom take me to Clueless six times in the theaters. Good. That makes me so happy beyond belief, because I feel like we are finally getting out of the quote-unquote, like, cool girl director era, where in the 2000s, in order to be taken seriously as a woman in film, there were two pathways. Either one, you had to be so beyond smart that people just couldn't, you know, question anything, or you kind of had to reject everything that was quote unquote, like girly. Like you had to look down upon chick flicks and praise Francis Ford Coppola. You have to be not like other girls. You had to be not like other girls. In order to be a female filmmaker, you must reject things made by or for women. Correct. And we started seeing that a little bit in the conversations around Barbie, where Greta Gerwig was like, oh, well, my inspirations for this movie are, you know, the Umbrellas of Cherbourg and Singing in the Rain and all these like classic movies. And people were like, oh, what an artiste. Oh, she's so brilliant. And she is brilliant. Don't get me wrong. But it's very weird that a lot of people didn't want to take her seriously or take Barbie seriously until she was name dropping these classic film titles. Because when she would say things like, oh, this is also inspired by, you know, insert Mean Girls, whatever pink ass movie here, people were like, mm, that's not real cinema. Because, you know, we know how people feel about teen girl because movies. The, the cinematography is not there. What, what, give me something interesting to look at. I would much rather have interesting characters than something interesting to look at. If I only cared about cinematography and not story and not character, I would look at photographs. Well, it's yes, you and I are very similar in that regard. I care about people and scenarios and situations and stories. Um, people who care too much about like what a film looks like, they wouldn't be able to do our podcast. Because <laughs> no. they would not be getting the crisp cinema that often. <laughs> no, no, not at all. And that's not to like shade on cinematography. It's obviously very important. Lady Bird has some of the best cinematography of a movie I've seen in a very long time. Um, but that's not the priority of the teen genre. No, you're not watching like clerks for the cinematography. No. You're not watching <laughs> Kevin Smith for camera work or like sweeping long oneers or whatever. You're watching it for characters and dialogue. Yes. Because that is part of the teen experience. We don't get fucking crane shots very often. <laughs> we get, you know, maybe zooms. <laughs> and that's not to say that they don't exist. Like Knives and Skin also has some great stuff, but that's just not the priority here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, it's the, you know, don't judge a fish by its ability to ride a bicycle. Like, yeah. that's not what this movie is for. Yep. Um, meet so the movie on its level. Meet the movie on its level, exactly. And so to hear this director basically be like, you know, Clueless is what made me want to make movies, I think is really exciting because I think women directors are finally at a place where they can admit to the things that they love. And that is a good thing. That is a net good as far as I'm concerned. Yes. It makes more diverse, interesting films. The day that we're recording this, like literally before we sat down to record this, they released the trailer for uh, Lisa Frankenstein, mm -hmm. which is also looks like an extravagant girl for girls movie. Mm -hmm. 
like it's by Diablo Cody and Zelda Williams. It looks awesome. Mm-hmm. Cannot wait. We will absolutely cover that on this on this podcast. Yes, of course we will. Comes out in February. Oh, I can't wait. Happy Valentine's Day to us. <laughs> so in this Entertainment Weekly interview, uh, the the director says. I think that everything kind of swung in a more slice of life romantic direction regarding recent teen films. That kind of biting acid tongue camp teen movie just hasn't been made recently. The spectrum is to all the boys I loved before and the kissing booth or euphoria. And we are kind of right in the middle. I really like that take. And I agree completely. Mm -hmm. And again, like that's not to say that like one is better than the other. I just want to mix. It is a spectrum. Like movies like To All the Boys I've Loved Before in the Kissing Booth are very sweet. They're very saccharine. They're very cute. And then you have Euphoria, which is like edgy McEdgerson from Edgeville. Mm -hmm. And Do Revenge does fit somewhere in the middle. Like it has sex appeal, but isn't like, traumatizing sex if that makes sense like there it looks good but it's not being sexy yeah it's just people who know they're sexy yeah and like there's obviously sexual violence in this in terms of like releasing people sex tapes and releasing personal text messages but we're not watching like graphic depictions of sexual violence Mm -hmm. um so it does end up falling in this middle and then as far as the way that the characters speak they are are graduated beyond like Disney Channel appropriate squeaky clean, but they're not, you know, swearing every 20 seconds like in Euphoria. But they do have swears and they aren't afraid to like be bold and be biting and be catty and mm-hmm. have all of these, you know, very colorful ways of describing each other and mm-hmm. their situations. They're bitches, they're childs, they're mothers and lovers. And I definitely <laughs> got those out of order, but that's okay. <laughs> No, you're right, though. And so I like that this does kind of bring back that middle, which I think we're starting to see have a resurgence just a little bit. Like, I would say Bottoms also falls in this category. I mean, we just swung really hard in one direction. Like, I think it's probably a result of teen stories in the 2010s becoming, like, so blockbuster Mm -hmm. and having to be, like, you know, either – fucking world-ending dystopian Hunger Games kind of shit. (laughs) Also, you can kind of lump Harry Potter in the back end of that with that. Um, And also, like, just deep romance, which is the Twilight and also sort of Fifty Shades vibes because a lot of teens like Fifty Shades. Mm -hmm. So you ended up on, like, really far extremes. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, you know what? That went too mainstream. That went too whatever. We're going to, like, really, really edge it up. Mm -hmm. We're going to have... Sam Levinson just go ahead and make exploitation and people act like it's not exploitation and hold it to a weird standard for what it is. Right. Like, just be honest about your shit. Be honest about your slocky shit. Mm-hmm. Like, this this outgrew its neighborhood and we've talked about it before. But I think that we're sort of settling back into, like, the actual proper meanness of what teen culture looks like mm-hmm. without it being so graphic and edgy. Agreed. And so in this interview, Robinson says, they say, write what you know, and I know women, and I like writing about women. For me, it is such a no-brainer to want to tell these stories. Yes, I love championing women's stories. I love telling them. But it's just like, that's what's interesting to me. I want to make things that reflect the world around me and my life, and that's why I do it. It's actually incredibly selfish and is not about furthering anything at all. It is super self-serving. Good. Again, I love that. Own that shit. You know, here's the thing. I'm so down with that for like filmmakers because 
if you have like a, a cranky old man say, this is what I'm going to do, then people will say they're a genius because they'll go ahead and make any sacrifice to get the one shot they do, mm-hmm. you know? But if a woman's just like, I just want to make a movie that I think would be cool, then it's like, oh, you know what? That's not as respectable. Yeah. Nope. That, and that, that's exactly it. And it's very strange because Do Revenge to me feels like one of those movies that fits under the I support w- women's rights, but I also support women's wrongs mm-hmm. uh, sort of subgenre, which I feel like at one point we should just like have a discussion of like the difference between like a good for her movie and a I support women's wrongs movie because yeah. they're they're related. Like they're cousins. They're besties. They hang out together, but they, they're not the same. They are like the beginning of a fork in the road. Yeah. like, And you are going down two different directions with them. Yeah. You might end up at like the same place at the end, but like they're definitely different paths. Yeah. <laughs> this is absolutely not a good for her movie. No, this is a women's wrongs movie all yeah. fucking day. So like let's start talking about our characters here because with the exception of like maybe one, Everyone in this movie is terrible. Everyone in this movie sucks. Yeah, like, like super sucks. <laughs> it's like everyone but Gabby, I think, sucks. And that's Gabby and Russ, like the two yeah, love interests. Like, I was going to say Russ was the guy I had in mind. Yeah, the two love interests, like they don't suck. Like, th- But also, I don't think they need to be here. But that's another discussion. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's start off with our, our first main girl, our queen bee. Let's talk about Drea. How do you feel about Drea? Oh, she, you find out who she is like right out the gate Mm -hmm. where she just finds out like, oh, hey, the Instagram, which she doesn't like her for some reason. Oh my God, guys, let's film and put her on the record that she agreed, but didn't actually agree to donate her entire wardrobe to charity Mm -hmm. and then just really put you over a barrel there. Like you have Mm -hmm. no option. It's just like, well, fuck, I kind of have to play along. Otherwise I'm ruined because I'm taking things back from charity apparently. Mm -hmm. Like she knows how to game this game, the system. So well, and her whole thing is just because, like, she feels inferior, mm-hmm. so she has to be bigger and badder and meaner. And, like, the, the 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 dog with the biggest bark in the yard, mm-hmm. she's got to do that. Yes, absolutely. So I hate Drea as a person. I love her as a character. Good. That's, I think, the right response. Definitely. And I think that this is where this movie falls into, like, a very confusing, like, place for people because they view her as you know one of the protagonists is like oh I'm supposed to root for her I'm supposed to like her or want her to succeed I don't think that that's what the movie is telling no you're supposed to follow her yeah and her journey through this whole thing but that doesn't mean you're rooting for her I mean maybe you develop an attachment just because you know we spend close to two hours with these characters and you're like I want to see you get your shit together Mm -hmm. get your fucking shit together definitely and I also think that as a character she's interesting because I don't think that she's necessarily an anti-hero or anything like that I think she's just a complicated fucking person and we get to see a lot of what goes on behind the scenes with her, why she is the way she is because she does also represent this kind of like quote unquote, like imperfect victim sort of thing Mm -hmm. where something really shitty happens to her where that video gets leaked and that is undeniably like a a massive violation and she does not deserve that mm-hmm. but at the same time she's not a nice person and she's done a lot of terrible things in her past and yet the movie never ever wants to put us on the side of like oh she deserves that because she doesn't she does not deserve the treatment that she receives and i think that that's interesting because typically Teen movies work with like morality plays or poetic justice. Mm -hmm. And this movie doesn't do that. This movie's like, she sucks and she doesn't deserve what happened to her. 
And I like that because that's way more closely to like how life works. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like as far as like any kind of revenge that would be due to her, Mm -hmm. she, this is how you really hurt her because I think like there's no other way anybody could have gotten her Mm -hmm. because she has a one up. Like I feel like she has like a little book full of secrets where it's like, I believe in mutually assured destruction. Mm -hmm. If you take me down, I will take you down. Mm -hmm. And this is the only way they could have gotten her. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm not saying that that's right. Mm -hmm. Because it's not. But you need like a a, a catalyst for Mm -hmm. things, both in universe and for like the viewer. Mm -hmm. Because there's like, there's no mistake that she's a bad person. But you got to like bring it back down. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if people are like rooting for her to rebuild her empire through like, horrible actions Mm -hmm. but you're just kind of watching seeing like oh are you going to pull it off Mm -hmm. how how are are you going to do this how is the person who did a bad thing to you going to get a bad thing done to them Mm -hmm. and the question is very very difficultly (laughs) definitely but something else that i also really like about the movie is that the movie doesn't try to hide the fact that drea is a bad person and has no. done bad things. It's very honest from the get-go. Very much so. And but... like you you understand where she's coming from because she has an internal monologue. Right. So it's like, well, I feel justified. And it's like, well, all bad people feel justified in their bad actions. Right. Like that's the thing. But the thing that I think is really smart is that the movie at the same time also lets us know that sometimes when people do like bad things or when they act a certain way, they're not even fully aware of how hurtful that they're being. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's one of those things of like teenagers don't have as much foresight and you know we're not very good decision makers and a lot of times people make decisions not considering the long-term ramifications. It's all instant gratification. Well yeah, it's like, you know, this was the most important day of your life for me it was Tuesday. I hope that you can squeeze that Street Fighter line in as many episodes as possible. I want to squeeze Raul Julia into as many things as possible. <laughs> I just watched The Eyes of Laura Mars for the first time recently, and it tragically underuses Raul Julia. <laughs> so you know what? We got to make up for the amount of him we didn't get in our lives. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> and also, like, it's a profound line. It is. It's, like, it's, it's so good. In that movie, it's coming from a villain, and it's him basically being like, I don't care that I ruined your life understandable he's a bad guy (laughs) but in just a general sense like no it is sometimes it's just tuesday yeah and that's kind of what we're seeing with drea because when we get the big twist uh at the end of the film which we'll talk about don't worry Uh, but when we get that big twist she doesn't even remember doing it like it doesn't like somebody has told her to her face here's a thing you did and she can't make the connection that it's a thing that she did, mm-hmm. which I think is a very teenage thing to do. And that's not to say that, like, I was a bully by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm sure that in high school I probably popped off at one point and said something hurtful to somebody who was getting on my nerves that day that affected them that I don't fucking remember. Sure. I'm, I guarantee that. I guarantee we've all done that. There, Every single person on this planet at some point has either done or said something to somebody in passing without thinking about it that had a profound effect on another person. It's like there's always that saying in the positive where it's like, you never know, your smile at the grocery store could have made someone's entire day because you don't know what anyone's going through. And that is true. I do believe in that. I have absolutely had my entire day changed because a random stranger smiled at me. And 
I also have comments that somebody made about me in passing embedded in the dark recesses of my brain that only come out at night when I'm trying to sleep and they want to antagonize me. And it'll be like, oh, that thing that happened in fifth grade that somebody said that was mean. Let's bring that out, woman in your 30s. So we've all done it. Every single one of us. This is a movie about that situation coming and biting you in the ass. Mm hmm. And I like that. I, I think that that's cool. <laughs> I mean, there's a billion memes out there of just people being like laying in bed and then like, oh, no, your internal thoughts of this mean thing that happened years ago comes back. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a very normal thing. Tra I mean, trauma and horrible events are legitimately like how we protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. So being reminded of them and the fact that it's clearly still a scar in your brain, like, yeah, that's how you get through things. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah. If it's just Tuesday, then it's like, oh, well, I mean, that's nothing to me. Mm -hmm. I, just, yeah, I, I don't remember it any more than I remembered a sandwich I had eight years ago. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you don't learn from that. Nope. Nope. Because you don't understand the, uh, the impact or the stakes of what it was. In high school, they say the best measure of success is like the clique you run with or the accolades you receive. But my metric is a little different. You want to know how you can tell when you've really reached the top? When someone wants to destroy you. Who wants a bite of me? Trick question. Everyone wanted a bite of me. I know, so ominous. You're probably like, why is she talking in riddles when her life looks perfect? Listen, babe, in this story, nothing is as it seems. Bitch! Hey, what's up, Vogue? I'm Dre. I would give my left and right kit to be Dre Torres. Of course she's the Rose Hill student that made it onto the Teen Vogue Next Gen list. And she's only a junior? God, Ariana, you sound like you want to wear her skin. She's amazing skin. Does she think we don't know Tara paid for this entire party? I bet she only got on that list because she goes to Rose Hill on scholarship. Sage, you're not trying to diminish the hard work of a fellow woman of color, are you? Cupcake? Um, and so speaking of that, we also have Eleanor. And in this instance, I love Eleanor as a character and I love Eleanor as a person uh, because Eleanor knows who she is mm -hmm. because she, this is not, she is not getting blindsided of the realization of like, oh no, I'm a bad person the way that Drea is. Eleanor knows from Jump Street, I am on a war path and I'm taking this bitch down. Mm -hmm. And uh, I respect that. <laughs> yeah. let, 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 let's just talk about that twist now. Yeah, well, I mean, might as well. There's really no way to discuss Eleanor as a whole character without just going into it. Um, so when she was 13 at camp, uh, there was a rumor spread by Drea. Because, you know, Eleanor, at the time known as Nora, was like, by the way, I like women. Mm -hmm. That's a thing. Mm -hmm. And... Drea loving drama, Drea loving to just make up stories and ruin people's lives, decided it would just be silly and fun as like a casual thing to be like, oh my God, she tried to hold me down and kiss me. Mm -hmm. And what that ended up doing was snowballing into a horrible rumor that painted her as like a predator or like an assaulter and basically ruined her life until she didn't leave her bedroom. Mm -hmm. She didn't leave her bedroom. She had to start going by a different name. She, had she got a nose job. An emotional support, bearded dragon. Uh, Oscar winner Olivia Coleman. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So what we're seeing with Eleanor is the result of somebody who had a very intense canon event as mm -hmm. as a as a teen, 
and how it has shaped literally everything in their life moving forward. What's interesting is that like we just watched No Hard Feelings and something similar happens in that movie. Spoiler, but not um, the young like 19 year old who's like very socially awkward. We find out that uh, his freshman year of high school his friends found out that sometimes he sleeps in the same room as his parents, like when he's anxious or whatever. And that's, you know, relatively normal, but then that snowballed into, they sleep in the same bed. And then that snowballed into, he fucks his parents, Mm -hmm. which obviously is not a thing that's happened, but it doesn't matter what's true or false. It's the court of public opinion. So in the same way that people were like, ew, he fucks his parents in this movie, we have a 13 year old being viewed as a predator. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't think we need to explain how dangerous that is for a queer person to be painted in that light. Yeah. And how absolutely abhorrent it is to yep. accuse a queer person of being a predator when they're fucking not in uh-huh. this climate. It's uh-huh. fucked up. And people who do that are the absolute worst of the worst. I have no love. I, I have the opposite of love for people who lie about shit like that, mm-hmm. like genuinely lie, mm-hmm. because then if it comes out that they were lying, mm-hmm. that's good, but also it takes all other stories, With the, it, it, makes, it makes people have arguments against other true stories, mm-hmm. so it ends up hurting everything for a very selfish, stupid reason. So yep. it, I don't care for this. I, I quite detest it. So I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Did you have any of those people who like, you know, oh, they picked their nose one time and then somehow it escalated into some ridiculous story about them eating something or whatever? Did did you have any escalated rumors that probably were not true in your high school? So we definitely didn't have an escalated rumor, but there was the kid who picked his nose and wiped it on the reading carpet in kindergarten and that followed him for his entire life oh. uh, to the point where he got married uh, to a girl who has since come out, which is really funny to <laughs> me. Um, but when they got married, everyone was like, oh no, let's call her Jane. Jane married a so-and-so, the carpet booger guy. <laughs> and oh. it's like, he's like 27. He had probably hasn't done that in a very long time, but you know, it's the super bad rule of people don't forget. Uh, people so don't we had, forget. we had that. Um, but we did have, uh, this one is, this one escalated, but it was escalated by their undoing. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I've talked on the show before about like my high school, like nemesis before and my high school nemesis, uh, was one of those girls who was desperate for attention and would exaggerate everything and make up everything. So like somebody would be like, my parents were really mean to me today. Or like my mom took my door off of my bedroom and she would be like, oh, well, my mom locked me in the closet for like three hours and didn't feed me. And we're like we should call someone about that. She's like, no, no, Mm -hmm. no, it's fine. You don't have to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But this girl, uh, somebody was talking about like their brother being mean. And she was like, my brother abuses me, like physically abuses me. And then one of the, like the people who overheard that told the school and was like, Hey, uh, so-and-so says that her older brother like abuses her. We should, someone should probably investigate that. And then they did like somebody investigated it. And then she threw this fucking fit inquire and was like, I don't know who called so-and-so, but that was like so disrespectful and you didn't need to do that. And like the whole room was like, you said your brother like beat you up. Like, what did you want us to do? Mm-hmm. So that was a thing. Like that was kind of like the big thing that like snowballed, but she <laughs> did that on herself. 
Yeah, that's a lot. There was there was a kid in my high school. Um, I I think he was a furry. He wore a tail. Okay. And somehow, maybe he was just really into Twilight because that was also during this time period. Yes, but this was like before that. Okay. This is like. You know, he was maybe a junior when I was a freshman. Okay, okay. So this is before Twilight. Okay. So he just wore a tail. He might have been a furry. This was like early internet kind of furry. So mm-hmm. the people were really vague about it. It's like, oh, they all yiff. Mm-hmm. Everyone's yiffing. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> somehow that escalated into a rumor that he fucked a dog. Wow. And somehow oh, no. that. And then people would be going around going like that kid. Like, you know what he did? And I go, yeah, I don't, I don't know. That just, I don't believe that. And they're like, no, I heard. And I'm like, what did you hear? And it's like, it was in front of a crowd of people in the front yard. I'm like, I don't think that that's true. Everyone's listening to this probably like, what the fuck is happening? There's a, you know, it's not that off base for a movie like this, I don't think. Um, no, not at yeah, all. Rumors are dumb and they snowball. And I don't really know like the psychology of why they need to snowball. I don't know if the person who specifically needs to up the stakes wants to get a reaction out of people and like the gratification of like being like, yeah, I knew something. Mm-hmm. I had intel and you went, whoa. I don't know what that is in terms of the human brain or why it's a thing that happens. Because surely people don't just feel like ruining a stranger's life. I would hope not. You'd, you'd think that they don't want to actively ruin a stranger's life. Maybe they don't, aren't processing the gravity of the situation. It's like when something be, somebody becomes the Twitter main character of the day and all they did was something pretty innocuous. Where it's just yeah. like, man, let's just dogpile on this fucking person. Maybe some people do want to ruin people's lives. Who? What am I saying? <laughs> you know, great point. Some people suck. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Anyway, uh, Nora had a bad time, and now she's going by an alias, and she's going to infiltrate Drea's ranks at her lowest and secretly ruin her life. Yep. And she knows what she's doing every step of the way, and I respect that. I respect somebody who knows that. Like, I don't have to agree with her actions. I don't think she's a good person. But she's at least being honest about it. Like it like I think that there is so much power in like the Janice Ian Mean Girl speech of like at least Regina George knows she's a bitch. You like to pretend that you're all like little innocent. That's how I feel about these characters. Like Drea mm-hmm. is perpetually like, I'm the victim here, which you are. Like she is a victim for what happened to her, but everything else she does is nuts. Oh, bad and- things can happen <laughs> to you and you're can still be a bad person. Being, yes. Being a victim doesn't exonerate you of your terrible behavior. Exactly. Like, it's not a system of checks and balances. Like, something bad happening to you doesn't suddenly mean that all the bad things that you have done in your life don't matter mm-hmm. or, like, are just washed away. Like, that's not how that works. Yep. So as the two of them are having their, you know, revenge plot. Um, as they're doing revenge? As they are doing revenge here. Um, again, I think Drea takes it so fucking far because one of the things that she does to, you know, get Carissa in trouble is the same thing that Misty fucking Quigley does in Yellow Jackets that turns her into a pariah. She drugs everyone. Like, that is so beyond dangerous. I know that it seems harmless, and in hindsight, it's harmless because nobody actually got hurt. It's because it's in a comedy. Because it's in a comedy, yes. But, like, (laughs) you can't just, like, drug people's food. That's so dangerous. Like, so fucking dangerous. Yes, and I agree, but at the same time, I'm like, is it technically poisoning someone? Yes! Yes, Yes. is it technically? (laughs) Sure, but it's not poison. 
So in the grand scheme of ruining people, it's not the worst thing that could have happened. But the thing is, it could have been. Like she's I'm saying just, it could have yeah, been. Yeah, she's very lucky that it did not. Like, there are teenagers who drink monster energy drinks and have heart attacks. Like, you can't just be giving people drugs. Like, that's not okay. I think some parents are suing Panera Bread over that. I think so, too. Because, like, their lemonade has, like, a shit ton of caffeine in it, mm-hmm. and their child didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Um... So that's a problem. Yeah. So like, you, know, you got to know what you're consuming um, for allergy reasons and, you know, physical things, if nothing else. But I'm just saying, like, in the grand scheme, this is fairly harmless. There's not rat poison in here. Right. That's true. However, comma, she I is. I don't think Dread wants to kill anyone. She just wants to have it be an incident. Right. But, and this goes back to, like, the teenagers not seeing, like, the full foresight. This isn't just going to get her in trouble because, you know, she finds out that she is growing weed at school. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, growing drugs at school is bad um, because it's weed and mushrooms. So growing drugs on school grounds, yeah, that's definitely a problem. But drugging a lot of people without their consent that is a felony yeah so like she is it's a mi- not- she's fine it's a minor and like, she'll get a do- slap on the wrist and they do joke she's like she's rich and white and like that is true like the yeah. justice system is entirely different for, no, for she rich gets, people she gets shipped off to like a, a bougie dr- drug tennis camp rehab yeah thing. she gets into the same rehab that sophie turner gets sent to and you know in the grand scheme of things that's basically a vacation yeah so like i'm glad that the the movie at least acknowledges like they don't operate under the same rules as the rest no, of us. No, but Drea really tries to play that card on multiple occasions where mm-hmm. it's like, are you going to try and ruin me? A woman of color? Mm-hmm. Like, she tries to play that card to get herself out of everything. Mm-hmm. Which I do find to be like, it's a very prickly choice mm-hmm. because on one hand, it's like, yeah, we do need to acknowledge that systemic imbalances exist. That is true. true. However, comma, you bad can, people... You can be a bad person. Bad people come in all forms and... Bad people weaponize their identities in all forms. Mm-hmm. And so to watch her do that in real time, it's like, oh, okay. You think you're bulletproof because of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, and I like that. I think that that's a really bold swing for a movie to take because it walks into a territory that a lot of people are really, really uncomfortable with. I mm-hmm. obviously cannot speak to the experiences of any person of color because I am lily white. But we see this all the time, especially in like white queer spaces where queer people will suddenly be like, I can't be racist. I'm queer. And it's like, mm. that's absolutely a thing that people do try to say. And it's like, that's not a thing. No, you can I'm absolutely gay. be both. I'm allowed to say racial slurs. It's like, no, no, you're, no not. you're not. What the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> um, that's a thing like, I I think that there are a lot of awful trans people out there. Incidentally, most of them white. Um, you know what? And I think that they try to go ahead and get away with it because I'm like, well, I'm trans. So, like, I'm a victim. So I'm allowed to be a bad person. And it's like, you're not. That's some high school shit. That's mm-hmm. some do revenge shit. Uh-huh. Get your shit together. Fucking grow up. Be an adult. This is me speaking about my own community on this one. <laughs> so it's like, hey, there's bad people in in all, in all our ranks. Yes. Yes, there are. Um, and this movie is unafraid to do that because the two people who are like really big assholes in this movie are a woman of color and a queer woman. Like, so we have two marginalized people who are being grade A dickheads. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, sim- similar with our bottoms episode. I love it. I love it. Let them be messy. (laughs) High school's messy, man. But I will say, they are not the worst person in this movie. If we had to have a hierarchy of terrible people. And also, he's also marginalized. Max, our big man on campus, 
is a horrible dick bag. Mm. Um, but there is a blink and you'll miss it moment where uh, he does have a star of David on his neck. So he's also marginalized. He's Jewish. I mean, so we have a woman of color, a queer woman, and a Jewish boy all just ruining each other's lives. Max is absolutely the goddamn worst. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. We, 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 if you go ahead and want to pull straws, I'm sure we can all marginalize ourselves in some ways. Oh, of course. In, in terms of disability, in terms of the fact that everyone in our generation is pretty poor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you you can always victimize yourself, but what you you know do with that is is, is entirely up to you. But here, here here's a bit of my beef with Max. Aside from him just being a bad dude who's like fucking the whole school and like co-opting feminist beliefs to not seem like a dick bag and all that kind of shit. I don't think the end of this movie with him getting busted is satisfying. I don't think so either. And I do have issues with this movie. This is not going to be a like purely positive episode. I do think that there are things that need to change. And I think that ending is one of them. It does not feel earned to me at all in the slightest. No, because like the whole thing of like they catch him and they record him and then they like broadcast it to everybody at the party. I don't think he's saying anything that would have um would have burnt his biscuits. No. I think everyone would have just kind of been like, huh. Because it's like, the things he's actually admitting to are pretty fucking mild, all things considered. Right. Like, when the things that they get him saying on camera are not the worst things that he does in this movie. Yeah. And like, I, I don't think the whole party would turn on him. I don't not think so either. Not instantaneously like that. No. Espe- like, especially the way that he was able to kind of swerve everything that happened to him. Like... He released a sex tape and then started the cis hetero men championing female identifying students league. And nobody thought that was weird. They were yep. like, that's great. Uh, he got he, busted for sleeping with all of the girls in school within clicks and che- essentially cheating on everybody and was like, just kidding. It's because I'm poly and everyone bought into it. There is no way in hell that he would not have been able to swerve out of that. It, mm-hmm. So like that. Yeah, that big reveal. I don't want to say it feels like a Netflix studio note, but it feels like that might have been a Netflix studio note of like, no, he he can't get away with it. Yeah. I mean, as far as like teen influences are concerned, this is very cruel intentions. Definitely. This is that's the main one, I think. And it's rich people behaving badly. It's very clueless. And in terms of color palette Mm -hmm. and stuff, that to me feels like can't hardly wait. Mm-hmm. But that guy absolutely imploded his life in front of everybody. Mm-hmm. Like firsthand account, he's not cool. He's drunk. He's not smooth. He's a piece of shit. Mm-hmm. It explodes there, and there's no recovering. Mm-hmm. This guy, it's just kind of like, I mean, he's a dick. But surely you all know he's a dick. Mm-hmm. Like you're not seeing. Like I think like half the people probably would have not turned on him, and then the other half would have been like, oh well, I mean. We're all pretty spineless. We're all pretty gutless and just like to follow this guy because we think he has power. Uh, I mean, yeah, sure. No, I guess I can live with it. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sold on that personally. Yeah, I'm not sold on that either. I also think that it is like very easy to kind of point to Max's like, oh, well, but he's the worst of us. Like we're bad, but we're not that bad mm-hmm. because I do feel like then that makes the movie tonally. Like this is why I think so many people who don't like this movie don't like it because then it does kind of paint Eleanor and Drea's like revenge plots and the things that they do as like lesser than or of like justified. Well, yeah. Yeah. Like, it, yeah. Cause the movie doesn't justify it, but it does get a little muddy where it's kind of like, well, yeah, what we did was bad, but it wasn't as bad as what Max did. Like Max mm-hmm. is the way worse one of us. And it's like, or you're all terrible. Like everyone is terrible and it's yeah. okay that everyone is terrible. 
just own that everyone is terrible, but instead, like, it allows them to, you know, like like you said, feel justified in everything that they did to uh, get to that point. We kind of talked about this when we did Carrie last week, but, like, there are a lot of people just going through life without getting fear of getting fucking knocked. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you get knocked off your pedestal. And mm-hmm. you'll even see this during the credits where it looks like Max is rebuilding his life, but he had to get destroyed to do it. Mm-hmm. Drea had to get her life destroyed in order to, to rebuild it and be a better person. Mm-hmm. Some people just feel a little too invincible. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that there is a compelling argument that this is a great movie about like restorative justice, about people trying to rebuild their reputations and that it's not impossible but you have to actually fucking try. You can't just continue to do your horrible things and try to connive your way back to the top. Yeah, you have to admit that what you did was fucked up. Yeah. Like, you have to... That's the first step, is admitting, like, oh, I fucked up. Yeah, you have to grab what you did with both hands and, like, own it. Like, you have to. Otherwise, like, it's just going to spiral and get worse and worse and worse. Mm -hmm. So I do agree with you in that regard. I think that that makes a lot of sense. Um, Another thing that I don't think works for me in this movie at all is either of the romance subplots. Um, I don't think they need to be there. Well, you you don't like Russ, just who seems like a perfectly nice boy doing a slightly out of nowhere paint scene, like 10 things I hate about you. Yeah. I will say it's more, it, it feels more earned in this one. It doesn't just come out of nowhere. Yeah, I but. agree in that in that regard. I think that, you know, it's it's very cute. It's a nice little homage, but I don't think these love plots need to be here. I obviously am so excited that Talia Ryder and Maya Hawk have like little scenes together and I like the idea of Gabby being Max's sister. I think like that's cool. I just don't think that these need to be here. I think that they're distracting. I think they add too much to the runtime because I think this movie would be a lot, would have been a lot better received if it was about 20 minutes shorter. Mm -hmm. And you can do that by getting rid of those scenes. You don't need them. I agree. I think it kind of drags a bit in like the last act. I also think that I'm going to, I'm going to push back a little bit. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that these don't need to be here. I think that it, creates a very um, important dynamic for the movies that we're paying homage to with this film. Mm-hmm. And I also think that this gives them characters that they want to be better for rather than only having each other in like an echo chamber of terrible behavior, like 13 or something. Yeah, I agree with that. But at the same time, this is me, my personal feelings I wish that they would be getting better for themselves because that's the message that we're supposed to take away from. Because no, I, I get that. Yeah, because we get, you know, Drea talking with Sarah Michelle Geller. We'll talk about her in a second. But talking with Sarah Michelle Geller and being like, I'm not going to go to the Ivy League. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and be this better person and blah, blah, blah. So she is being better for herself. So while I understand why a love interest would, you know, be a good motivating factor, I, again, don't think that we need it because I think the story is doing it in other ways. Yes, but in terms of, like, motivation for these characters, I think you need somebody on the outside. Yeah. some Somebody who is in the exact same system that you're in but isn't really playing the games that everyone is because mm-hmm. you're, like, choosing to be an outsider or what have you. Mm-hmm. I think you need that to kind of ground this because if you remove them, then literally everyone in the movie is a bad person. Yeah, but I like that. I, I get that. <laughs> But I'm saying in terms of how these characters function, you need kind of a control in this experiment. You're, okay, that's, that's Otherwise, a good Otherwise, everything way to put it. they're doing seems perfectly normal. That's a really good way to put it. Yes, we do need kind of that gauge of morality, which we get with those characters. Okay, I, I do agree with that. Um, 
yeah, the movie's just a little bit too long for me. I agree. To, needs um, to suck some suck some air out of it. I think Russ is a perfectly nice boy. I think Gabby is not on screen enough. That I definitely agree with, especially because Talia Ryder is so talented, and I just am never sad to see her. Um, yeah, they don't they don't give her enough to do. But you know, these are little critiques. It's not like a deal breaker for no, me. No, the, the movie is still enjoyable. Yeah, I still think it's a good movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Greta Thunberg Brigade can be pretty intense. It's all smoke and mirrors. I've seen every single one of them use a plastic straw. The horror. I'm Gabby. Are you new? I'm Eleanor. And kinda. You want a tour? I mean, as a disciple of the 90s teen movie, I would be offended if I didn't get one. Oh, if you get offended, Rose Hill does have a designated safe space for that. (laughs) All right, so over here we have our Instagram, which is Allegra, their leader. Apparently made a girl levitate out of sleepover playing Lights of Feather. Now she's queen of the Zodiac thoughts, and she's a Scorpio. What? Horny theater kids. Last year they tried to mount a mostly white production of Hamilton. Then Manuel Miranda sent a cease and desist. Um, coming up, we have our farm kids. They're on the school farm, led by Carissa. When her request to make Rose Hill go vegan was denied, she left her diva cup in the middle of the cafeteria in protest. It was full. Um, who are they? Ah, uh, Rose Hill's royal court. The cream of the incredibly entitled crop. Be careful of them. They're all as calculated as they are beautiful. So something that I want to talk about as well is the the, the homage aspects of it. Um, because obviously we have kind of gimmick casting with Sarah Michelle Gellar playing like this very hot <laughs> kind of like dean of the school. It very much feels like Catherine and Cruel Intentions all grown up, which I think is just very inspired casting. I'm glad mm-hmm. that she's here. Um so because of her presence, that already is the homage. I've seen people say that they would have preferred Do Revenge if it was a college setting. And at first I agreed with that. But then the more I thought about it being Cruel Intentions and it being just very wealthy high schoolers, I am I like it better in high school. You get aged up when you have money, kind mm-hmm. of. Like there's more, higher expectations of you, but also you have the money to do like debaucherous, horrible fucking shit because you don't have judgment. Exactly. Um, so I think that that's I think that that's smart. But obviously we have like the, as far as fashion is concerned, it's very clueless. There's 10 things I hate about you references. There's obviously Heather's references. Like, there's, there's needle drops that are straight from the 90s. Like you have Harvey Danger in here. You have mm-hmm. a clueless one, which is like, you know, the impression that I get by the mm-hmm. Mighty Mighty Boss Tones, which like, man, since we fucking did our, our Clueless episodes, like Dickie Barrett's a piece of shit and the yeah. Boss Tones <laughs> broke up as a result. Right. Like, fuck him. <laughs> but at the same time, the needle drops are a combination of songs from older teen movies. As but then also contemporary ones. What, whatever was really popular on TikTok at the time that they made the movie. Yeah. Which it, it's weird. Um, I mean, teen movies are time capsules. Teen movies are time capsules, um, but it feels like extremely on the nose mm-hmm. because of how quickly uh, pop culture moves these days. But a complaint that I saw people have, and I think this lends itself to a larger discussion, is the way the characters talk and the references that they make, the pop culture things they do because, you know. Glenergy. Glenergy, uh, referring to Glenn Close and Fatal Attraction. It's like, is that a movie they actually would have seen? Um, And 
here's my feelings on it. There are some lines in this movie that I think painfully sound like a Gen Xer wrote this movie for teenagers because Mm -hmm. these references are not in line. I actually saw this recently on an episode of Gen V where one of the characters was referencing like a Dave Chappelle, like a Chappelle show sketch. And I'm like, that's about 10 years outside of your weight class, but sure. Um, I think that these things happen all the time and people try to like justify it in their head of like, oh, well, this person's just like cool and knows more. And so I get it. We don't have VH1, Isle of the 90s anymore. (laughs) You don't just have passing knowledge of this shit. So that's my thought about it is like most people don't have passing knowledge of like multiple generations of pop culture the way that they used to because, again, it's the algorithm. Like it's just unless it slaps you in the face, like people don't know these things. And that's not like a that's not an insult. That's a neutral fact. Yeah. But this is why I think people who gave Diablo Cody shit for the way that she wrote characters in Juno and Jennifer's body are fucking stupid because the brilliance of Diablo Cody writing teenagers is that they all sound like teenagers, but they don't use hyper-specific slang. They don't make hyper-specific references that all the kids today are referencing. Mm -hmm. Instead, it's this complete, like, separate third thing of teen speak that is unapologetically teen speak, but doesn't exist anywhere and so then it makes it untouchable because like i rewatched jennifer's body recently at at vidiots and diablo cody was there diablo cody was there and it was was karen kasama it was so fucking awesome they're really nice they were so nice um but in like watching it lines like your lime green jello which like people definitely in my school would say like oh you're jelly like, mm-hmm. or like must be jelly because damn don't shake. Like that kind of stuff is very real. But calling somebody like jello or like, oh, you're so jelly, you're lime green jello. Like that sounds like a very teenage thing. But did I know anybody who ever said that in real life before Jennifer's body? No, I did not. So I think that that is the smarter approach to writing teen dialogue, especially for teen movies now, because terminology and slang and references move so much faster than they ever did. Well, I think you're absolutely correct, but it's the, um, I don't know, Saturday Night Live-ism of it, the uh, late night talk show-ism of it, where if something is so popular on the internet that it bleeds over onto like, you know, what would have been the Ellen DeGeneres with like, damn, Daniel, mm-hmm. which only lasted for like two weeks and yet Ellen cursed that boy with shoes for the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. I think once it crosses over into something mainstream like that, that's when the internet kind of goes, oh, this is dead now. Mm-hmm. Like, this is done. We're, mm-hmm. we're over with it. I think that's basically, like, the idea of, like, oh, hey, if something is crossed over in a sense, like, you have to really be in the know of something, like, fairly deep cut mm-hmm. in order for it to not be the most obvious, like, oh, look, flossing mm-hmm. version of, of young people culture. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's, like, hey, if you reference it, then it's embarrassing. It's, like, God, Mom, like, what are you doing? Don't say bussin'. No, that's exactly it, though. Because, like, you think about words, a a word like bussin', right? And blanket statement, most of what people consider to be, quote, unquote, like, Gen Z slang is just A-A-V-E that has been co-opted. Like, let's just acknowledge that. That that, that is not new. That's not new. That's been existing for a very, very long time. But few things drive me more insane than when, like, somebody will be like, Gen Z speak, and it's just A-A-V-E, and it's like, oh, God. Mm -hmm. Um, But no, so, like, words that are pulled from A-A-V-E that then cross over and become, quote, unquote, Gen Z speak, things like bussin', things like lit, slaps, whatever, these things become the word, you know, of the day 
but they go out of fashion so much faster now because we're all sharing the internet. So like the, like one of the ones that I've seen is like no cap, like saying something is no cap was very hot for like three weeks. People did challenges. People were doing, you know, tons of TikTok videos. Well then now like 40 year old moms who do like mom TikTok were like, you know, here's my newest mom fact, no cap gone. Like it's dead now. So like, because things are getting picked up by like, older people um anybody over the age of 30 is old in a lot of like the young people's eyes at this I don't point know, we watch no hard feelings apparently if you're in their 30s you're ancient <laughs> right you might as well be geriatric which mm-hmm. is you know fine whatever but because it moves so much faster trying to capture it is going to like you no longer have a time capsule movie you have a dated movie yep and that's a problem so the workaround because i know that hollywood's trying to figure it out how are we going to relate to gen z how are we going to do it you bring back diablo cody styles of writing you put it in like teen speak but not teen speak anyone's actually fucking using so then that way you can be a time capsule it can be referential to what's going on in this time period but it's not so hyper specific that it ages itself in three weeks. I mean, just think about Clueless and obviously like Valley Girl 10 years earlier. That is a hyper specific part of the country. Mm-hmm. Not everyone's a Valley Girl. Mm-hmm. So like you can clearly identify that as a subculture. Granted, it became a very popular subculture, especially like after Clueless where like as if was just a thing that everyone said. Mm-hmm. But that is specific. Mm-hmm. You can't just be general about this stuff because then it becomes embarrassing and people don't ed- relate to it. It's not like, <laughs> I do that. <laughs> totally. Like It doesn't work that way anymore. And it kind of never really worked that way because all of the best teen movies are specific. Totally. John Hughes is specific to like the Chicago suburbs. Mm-hmm. Clueless is specific to Beverly Hills and the Valley. Mm-hmm. Like these are important, specific parts of things it's never been like the broad brush stroke like this has to relate to all teens teens Mm -hmm. no i agree with you completely and it feels like in the quest to appeal to as wide of an audience as possible just so much is getting lost It's teen versions of four quadrant yeah it's weird and like i think that this movie does some of it and i don't think that it is the the writers or the directors Fault. I think that it's Netflix trying to appeal to as many teens as humanly possible. Yeah, cannot I think, confirm or deny. Yeah, cannot confirm or deny. Was not in the room. Have no idea how it goes. But like there are like certain moments where it feels like either edges were softened a little bit or it feels like a reference was thrown in that didn't need to be there. Um, there's like a lot of stuff like that makes this movie a little tonally disjointed for me in terms of its pop culturisms because the stuff that feels very lived in and authentic is the stuff where I can hear like, Oh, a Gen Xer wrote this. Mm-hmm. It's when these characters, ironically enough, say something that is more Gen Z or is more, you know, today where it sounds unnatural where I'm like, Ugh, that no, that doesn't yeah. belong here. She'll be a cinch. I can ruin her in my sleep. Moving on to Max. Wait, go back. Uh, why will Chris be easy? Oh honey, it is much easier to destroy a girl. Take your pick, slut shame her, turn her friends against her. Prey on her vanity, turn her into a troll, exploit her darkest secrets, make her radioactive, and no one will help her. Now dudes, that's another story. For girls, our bodies, our choices, our thoughts are all policed by shame. Our weaknesses are their strengths. If they have a lot of sex, they're crushing it. If we do it, we're sluts. If they're angry, they're powerful. But if we show any emotion, we're hysterical! Ladies! 
So then my question for you, like, what do you think about a specific brand of teen stuff that we have gotten more recently where it's like, obviously teens can enjoy something like Booksmart or Ladybird, but those feel more like teen movies by adults reflecting on things. Do you think that do revenge is an example of like, yes, this is a teen movie that people our age can reflect on versus like, it's a teen movie actually made for teens. I think that this movie went into production with the intention of subverting the teen movies of yesteryear by kind of pushing them through like a more contemporary lens. But if it did not resonate with contemporary audiences, it was fine because then you could fall back on the like, well, this is, you know, picking at, you know, the year 1999 and all the movies that came out then. Mm -hmm. So I think it was kind of set up with its own built in fail safe. Yeah. I think it's less obvious about it than like, he's all that Mm -hmm. where it's like, Hey, we'll get a couple weeks of, of engagement out of this from the people who go like, ah, yes, my, my favorite movie from back then. Look, they remade it. Mm -hmm. Look, there's Matthew Lillard. Mm hmm. He's the best part of the movie. I mean, he's absolutely the best part of the movie. <laughs> he's the best part of most movies he's in. <laughs> yes. But I think that it's a, I don't know, man. I, I, it's, this is one of those things where I feel sort of slightly weird judging it because I'm like, I enjoy this movie. Um, I'm not a teen anymore. I might not be the target audience, but am I the target audience? I might be. I don't know. Mm-hmm. No, I agree with you completely because I remember watching Do Revenge when it first came out. And that was kind of my first thought where I was like... I don't know if like today's teens, like I think obviously people who love Camila Mendez and who love Maya Hawk are going to turn out for this movie for sure. But I don't necessarily know if like the general teen group is going to be really down with this because all of the references that it's making are before them. Mm-hmm. And it is coming from a time period that's very millennial. And right now there's nothing more cringy than anything associated with millennials. Yeah. So it's like, mm, I don't know. I mean, I think that we had a very small period where we had a pit stop in terms of like a cultural, like in terms of aesthetic or like cultural resonance with the nineties, we kind of zoomed past that. We were like really stuck in the eighties for a long time. And then we were in the nineties for like two years and then we scooched on by. And just from last year to now, like the, time period du jour is the 2000s like we went right to the like the next thing which is like y2k pop punk Mm -hmm. uh shiny horrible fashion sense like fucking heroin chics coming back in a big gross way which started in the 90s but you know hit a head in the 2000s like Mm -hmm. i feel like this movie just came in at the very tail end of when, when young people like really liked the 90s yeah, I think so too. I think that this movie, like, I don't know if this is going to be one that like really like stands the test of time, so to speak. But I think this is a movie that people will pull from as kind of a time capsule of the obsession with the late '90s, early 2000s. Mm-hmm. That I think is going to be this film's oh, legacy. It's spectacular, yeah. at it. And if I'm gonna be real, I would love to see what this director does outside of. Netflix, like moving forward, mm. where there aren't as many, you know, studio constraints as we know exist for a streamer like this. Mm-hmm. Um, just to kind of see her go nuts with a story where like she can have like full, full villains, just like reveling villains, mm-hmm. which they do revel in their villainy in this movie, but I, I want more. Um, I I think the ending's a little bit too clean. Um, sometimes I want a Heather's ending where just shit blows up and people die. <laughs> 
very cheerful of you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I, I mean, there's something about like them enjoying each other's company and then driving off together mm -hmm. where they're just like, yeah, we're people capable of, of terrible things. And mm -hmm. you know what? We're getting better together. And I enjoy myself the most when I'm with you. Mm -hmm. I get that. I think maybe Nora forgives her a little too easily mm -hmm. considering the animosity she had. Mm -hmm. Um yeah, again, like the, the back third of this movie doesn't quite do it for me as much as the first two thirds do. Mm -hmm. But like, I still think it's good. So. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. You, you, you want you want to make a judgment on this messy episode where we <laughs> talked about a whole lot of things? Yeah, seriously. Uh, do Revenge is asking you to the prom harmony. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe? Or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? As we said when we did our Cool Intentions episode, I don't much care for the the rich people behaving badly genre. It's definitely not my favorite. Most of my favorite films are about people who don't have money and what that looks like. So this is not so much my forte, but as far as like a teen film is concerned, I think it's good. As far as like an homage is concerned, I think it's good. I think it's mean in a way that I appreciate seeing. Like, I don't know. I think that I like this movie's approach to meanness a bit more than I like Bottoms. This I think this works more for me, whereas like mm -hmm. Bottoms, everyone's like, this one works for me. And I was like, guess what? We've got two different flavors, and they came out within like 12 months of each other or whatever. Mm -hmm. So I like that there's options. That's really all it is. I want options in our teen, teen movie options stuff. Options are always good. Especially if we're going to even just be doing homages. Cool. Give us options. Mm -hmm. I agree. So yes, it's a, it's a yes. I, I still think this is a good movie. I still think it's worth watching. I think everyone did a really good job. Also, the soundtrack is tight. The soundtrack is pretty tight. We didn't really spend much time on that, but I, I like the soundtrack. Beautiful. <laughs> well, friends, that takes us out on Do Revenge. Thank you, as always, for listening. You can follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, and Blue Sky at This Ends Up Prom. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Blue Sky, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Velocitraptor, Velocit underscore trap underscore tour, or on Blue Sky at Harmony Colangelo. And as always, thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use title as our theme song. Harmony, what band do you want people to check out this week inspired by Do Revenge? So something that I find very difficult whenever I need something that has like kind of a mainstream pop punk sound. Basically, when I'm trying to find something that sounds kind of like Olivia Rodrigo, because that's more or less the musical identity of this movie. Because mm -hmm. like it opens with brutal. Mm -hmm. Anytime I try to find something like that, it's like, man, I gotta like vet some of these people because unfortunately, in a post Machine Gun Kelly Willow Olivia Rodrigo world, it's like this specific pop punk sound just sounds like the sound of industry plants. Mm -hmm. It's gonna end up like the A B C D E F U people, right? And I think I got her something. name is Gail, but yes, fine, whatever. <laughs> I just I'm a, I'm really upset that that is the sound of fake music, mm -hmm. unfortunately. But I think I did a good job of getting someone who is legit on this one. Her name is Car C A R R. She has the energy of a girl who's going to tell you to suck her dick. My favorite flavor of girl. Yeah, she's kind of kind of mean. Um, <laughs> she swears a lot. She writes these really good pop punk songs that would be at home in a like hot topic. Kind of, kind of playlist circa 2005, which yeah. I know is a little bit after what this movie is doing, but we're kind of like meeting in the middle a little bit here. Yeah, I listened to her a bit, and it definitely sounds like like a girl who would end up on the same playlist in the 2000s as like Avril Lavigne and Gwen Stefani and Fifi Dobson. Yes, but like 
She's a little edgier because she, she's a little bit edgy. because she's mean and she curses. <laughs> she says swears. She does far more than Avril ever did. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I mean, if you're looking for something like that, she has a new album that came out just last month called The Car Show, again, with two R's. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a really good listen if you want more of like the the, the Olivia Rodrigo sound, but on like an actual indie scale. Mm-hmm. Um, my favorite songs on this album are Step on Your Face, Industry Kid and Sick Bro. Sick, bro. Sick, bro. <laughs> All right, y'all. Check out Car. And on that note. We will see you next week. Save that last dance for us. Okay, bye. Bye. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.